Well, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to continue to look at the satisfied life and how uh, the Proverbs relate to the family and, and the home. So let's stand as we turn to Proverbs chapter 24. I'll just read one verse this morning. And as we've been doing, as I've said again and again, Proverbs is like a tapestry. The themes are just kind of woven throughout the entire book. And so we'll see several different uh, Proverbs that speak into this area. And we'll come back and emphasize some specific things about marriage next week. So I'll just touch on that uh, a little bit this morning. And then uh, in a couple of weeks, look at how the enemy wants to attack that relationship as well. But uh, I've titled the message this morning, That's What I Call Home. And I'll go ahead and give apologies to uh, Blake Shelton who wrote the country song, That's What I Call Home. But I really want to know this morning what God calls home. What does the Bible say? about family. So you found your place there, Proverbs 24, verse 3, a house is built by wisdom. That word house is speaking of a home, a dwelling place for the family. It's built by wisdom, and it is established by understanding. Now, we've been in Proverbs long enough to know that we need a wisdom that comes from above, that is not natural, that is not common on this planet. We need a wisdom that comes from God's Word. So let's ask Him for that this morning. Father, as we come into Your presence this day, Lord, it has been uh, just so encouraging already to lift Your name and to hear uh, the voice of Your people in, in unison declare the Lordship of Christ and to cry out that You would fall on us and to, to say with faith that we believe that our families can be all that you intended for the glory of God. And so, Lord, give us your wisdom in these areas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I read about a, a man who uh, he barely even knew what month it was. He knew it was February, but he was sitting at his dining room table having his coffee, reading his newspaper one morning, and a, uh, his wife walked up, and she looked at him kind of funny, and she goes, he's, he's sitting there going, what? You know, And she said, you don't even know what day this is. I bet you you don't even know what today is. And he thought about it a minute, thought he was in trouble for sure. And about 10 o'clock that morning, she got a dozen red roses. She was excited to receive that, but then at lunchtime, she got a big box of chocolate delivered to her. And then she opened up another box that came Late that afternoon, that was delivered to the home there, and it was a beautiful negligee. And her husband came home from work, and he brought some, some nice jewelry, necklace, bracelets. I mean, he had really done everything upright. Now, he was still thinking he didn't even know the, the day of the month, but, but he had done everything that covered all of his bases. And so she cooked him a delicious meal, candlelight dinner, and as he uh, finished his meal, she, she looked him right in the eyes and said, Honey, I, I just want you to know you have made this the very best Groundhog Day that I've ever had in my life. Well, man, this week you might be wondering uh, what day it is. It's uh, Thursday, I believe. So mark your calendars. It's Valentine's. So be sure that you make note of that. You know, the Bible speaks into every relationship that's important. And we've talked about our relationship with God, and we've dealt with the character that should flow from that. 
And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this area of family and home and wisdom that comes from God, wisdom that comes from Proverbs, makes a real difference so that you can make a difference, so that you can be that person of influence in this world that needs the the family, quite honestly, the Christian family, to be the salt and the light that God's called us to be. Now, let me go ahead and preface this message with something I will come back to at the end, something that I even mentioned in our discussion in our life group this morning, which was a fun discussion, to say the least. But we need a whole lot of God's grace in this area. And I thank God that no matter what your family's going through, what they've been through, whatever brokenness you might have experienced, we know that we live in a sin-fallen world, and we are all in great need of God's grace. And I will promise you, God's grace is available. But that grace that can heal us is also a grace that can spare us if we embrace it with God's wisdom early on. And so none of us are perfect, but we should be purposeful. None of us are perfect in our marriages, in our homes, and in our parenting, but we should be intentionally seeking to be about God's business and not settling for less than God's best. 1947, psychologist Carl Zimmerman wrote a book titled Family and Civilization, and he made the following observations about disintegrating cultures. In other words, when these cultures that many times represented by governments and nations, when these nations began to crumble, there were certain descriptions of what was going on in the family. Now, keep in mind, what I'm about to read is a list of things he wrote in 1947. So it's not a response to today's political environment. If anything, it's prophetically describing today's environment of the home. But he said this in 1947. He said, you can see this decline, this disintegration of nations and cultures and civilizations when First of all, marriage loses its sacredness and is frequently broken. Secondly, he said, when the traditional meaning of marriage and the marriage ceremony is lost. Now, I try to give couples a little bit of freedom when it comes to planning a a wedding and a wedding ceremony, but we make it clear that we want them to glorify God in that wedding ceremony and that their vows need to be biblical even if they write them themselves. The feminist and radical feminist movements abound in disintegrating cultures. Increased public disrespect for parents and authority in general. Did you read this week about the man in India who is suing his parents for his own conception and birth? He's saying, listen, I was not giving a, given a choice as to whether or not to come into this world, and so you should be responsible to pay for all of my needs for as long as I live. Wow. Some kids are like, I'm going to follow that one and see how it turns out. Acceleration of juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. Next was refusal of people with traditional marriages to accept family responsibilities. Nobody wanted to be responsible. There was a, a... a, a, a laziness that permeated the home with nobody being that servant, or servant leader, servant in the home. Then a growing desire for an acceptance of adultery, where it's no longer called a sin, it's just called uh, maybe a mutual understanding. It's tolerated. 
And then finally, he says there's an increase, increasing interest. We can read about this in Romans chapter 1. An increasing interest and spread of sexual perversions and sex-related crimes. If that doesn't describe where we're at today, when you think of the gender fluidity where anybody can decide what sex they're going to be and totally throw out the fact that God said in the beginning, I made them male and female. Even Jesus later when he would describe marriage says, do you not know that in the beginning God made them male and female? There's no spectrum. There's no choosing. God has already established that. And then when we think of sex crimes In America, 169 arrests in Atlanta during and leading up to the Super Bowl on sex trafficking charges. 169 arrests here in Atlanta, Georgia, the buckle of the Bible Belt. And when I heard that number, I thought if that many were arrested, how many uh, of those who were involved in sex trafficking didn't get caught? And got away with it. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And so we're seeing the disintegration of the culture and we're trying to blame everything else. And when we go back and we look at how all of this interrelates to the family, it should make us as a church say, Lord, we need your wisdom on the home. And we need to model this for the rest of the world. And so let's kind of introduce this subject. And again, we'll come back and get into more detail with some areas in Proverbs on marriage and on family in the weeks ahead. But I want you to see three elements of a satisfying home life this morning. And as we see this in the book of Proverbs, let it serve as God's reminders for us of, yes, need for his grace, need for his forgiveness, his restoration, but also his standard for what we should be in pursuit of, what we should be modeling. The first, first element I want you to see this morning is the foundation of faith that should be truly in the home. If we're not purposeful, if, if the, the fact that the creator of life haven't, hasn't given the family a purpose, then we're missing everything. And so when we come to this verse, Proverbs 24, 3, that you just looked at, it says, a house is built by wisdom. To where we say, God, why have you established the home? What, what are we to be about? What, what, what is the purpose of marriage? You know, a lot of people get married and they never consider the purpose. And then there are many others who, who avoid getting married at all because they don't see a purpose in it, many having already rejected their creator. And that leads to all kinds of perversions, as Romans 1 describes. And so we need God's wisdom, God's understanding. That all begins with what we looked at from the very beginning in Proverbs. It begins with a relationship with God. The relationship of a father with God, a mother with God, a child with God has to be the most important relationship that's promoted in the home. Remember when we started with chapter 9 and verse 10 and we talked about an awesome knowledge and an awesome fear and reverence and awareness of God's presence in this world and how knowing him and his character and his nature would move us toward wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, chapter 9 and verse 10 says. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So we saw in in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 that we need this awesome, fearful awareness of God, that God is who He says He is, and we need to live our lives with the wisdom that comes from responding to that knowledge of God. And then we looked at Proverbs chapter 8 and how Jesus was the personification of wisdom. So that awesome knowledge of God 
needed to move into an intimate knowledge of God so that we have a love relationship with our Creator. That's got to be established in every home. It leads to love and reverence for God, and it leads to a love and respect for each other. Love needs to be the founding element. We, we talk about that first summit here at Trinity. Summit number one is that we, we create that loving environment in the home where we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love each other selflessly. And when we love each other the best, it's the overflow of loving God the most. My wife is not jealous of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, nor am I jealous of her relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because we both know that we love each other best when we're loving Jesus the most. And when we're not loving Jesus the most, then our love for each other is never what it could be and what it should be. And so we have that foundation of faith, that loving relationship with God that's in the home, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 17 says, better is a meal of vegetables. I can't believe the Bible talks so negatively, Jeff, about a meal of vegetables. But it says, and even they knew that vegetables didn't taste as good as meat, right? Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox with hatred. Look, it's better to not have quite as much but have a lot of love than to have the, the, the fatted ox but have a house full of hatred. And so that love relationship has to be a big part of your home. We also see in Proverbs that there's a righteous standard that needs to permeate the home. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 11 says, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will stand. He's saying, listen, even if you only have a tent, even if... If your dwelling just doesn't seem that much, if you are one who raises a righteous standard, you will experience true prosperity. You will stand. You will stand with purpose. You will stand with a standard, and your family will be a witness, will be salt and light in the world, and will make a difference in this world. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 33 says, The Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Those who have a righteous standard, those who say, uh, thus saith the Lord, this is God's word, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it. And so we do get upset sometimes when the courthouse and the schoolhouse uh, no longer post the Ten Commandments, right? But how many Christians keep the commandments, the laws of God in their home? How How many Christians have in their home the word of God being taught intentionally, regularly, and in response to everything the children and the parents are facing in life. There's a righteous standard that permeates this home, this successful, this satisfied home. And it's better that you have the relationship in order before you try to get the righteous standard in order, or the righteous standard will not be received. Josh McDowell says, rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. And so it's good that dad puts his foot down. It's good that mom says, not in my house. But without a loving relationship, the standard will be rejected. And then there's a reconciling spirit because we do need grace, because we do fall short 
of the glory of God day in and day out. There's a reconciling spirit that, the spirit that should be in the home. Proverbs 24, 15, and 16 says, Wicked man, don't set an ambush at the camp of the righteous man. Don't destroy his home. Don't destroy his dwelling. Then he warns, though a righteous man falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. Where there's a righteous standard, where, where there's the love of God permeating the home, where the relationship with God is important, and, and, and where the word of God is held high, then there's an understanding that sometimes we're going to fall. He says, the righteous man can fall seven times, seven being the number of completeness. Man, we can totally blow it, but there's a reconciling spirit of, hey, we still love you. Like the father looking for the prodigal son, we're, we're looking for reconciliation. We're looking to see this marriage restored. We're looking to see the hearts of the sons and the daughters turned back toward the parents. And the parents toward the children by the grace of God. There will be slip-ups. There will be spilt milk. There will be regretful backtalk. There will be broken hearts and dreams. There will be bad grades, there will be bad choices, but a spirit of grace and hope and restoration and reconciliation will permeate the home that is successful and receives the wisdom from God. A lot of grace, a lot of love, a righteous standard, yes, but a spirit-filled home where Jesus is exalted and where people are loved. And so we've got to have that foundation of faith. If someone comes to me or to Pastor Ben this week and says, we need some counseling, our marriage is, is struggling, or our family, our kids are in rebellion, and, and we start to say, well, you know, the most important thing is a relationship with God. And if you were to look at us and you were to say, listen, we just want to save our marriage, or, or we just want our kids to act right, but we don't want to get, we don't want to become fanatical. We don't want to be Jesus freaks. We, want, we don't want people to think that we're just, just, just some kind of holy roller. Then we're probably going to look at you and say, well, then we can't really offer you any help. There might be some psychologists you can go talk to. Maybe they can offer you a little something. But the only hope I know and the only hope that Ben as our family minister knows to give you is first to make sure that you have the foundations of faith in place. Apart from that vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus Christ, your marriage, your family can never be what it should be. Apart from God's standards as well as God's grace flowing in and through your home, it can never be what it was meant to be. We've got to have those foundations in place. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see that when that does take place, then we can have the fortification of marriage. You can make your marriage stronger with God's help. Now, again, we'll spend more time on this area over the next couple of weeks, but I want you to see that Proverbs 18, 22 reminds us, men, that a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That should be our perspective, men, on marriage. Favor from the Lord, God's grace it's unmerited favor. It's a gift to us. And so, men, just those of you who are sit, sitting beside your wife, just go ahead and look at her right now and, and, and tell her what I'm about to tell my wife. You are God's grace gift to me. Go ahead. Just go ahead and say it. She, might, she probably hasn't heard it in a year, right? Just go ahead and say, you are God's grace gift to me. Because that's what the Scripture says. He, he obtains favor from 
the Lord. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. Now, next week, we'll get more into the context. It'll be more of a PG-13 message, but it's talking about romance, exhilaration, and everything that God has to offer. We're to embrace that and receive that and enjoy that. Proverbs 31, that you often hear preached on Mother's Day, or maybe at the funeral of a mother or grandmother, says her husband also praises her. So, men, we're to praise her. We're to bless her. And says, many women are capable or noble, but you surpass them Oh, I believe every man should believe that he's married to the best woman in the world. Now, we can roll up our sleeves and fight about it later, but my wife, I believe with all my heart, is the very best, that God gave me the best. And every man should speak that into the life. You're the very best because God knew exactly what I needed. And so you seek to bless your wife. You love as Christ loved us. And so when you're doing that, you learn to speak her love language, right? You know that if it's, if it's acts of service or if it's gifts, whatever her love language is, encouraging words, you learn her love language and you speak that. And I know that my wife loves acts of service. I can say, I love you all day long, and she loves to hear it, but she really appreciates it when I vacuum the floor, do the dishes, because I want to speak her love languages. There have been times that I've even told the staff here before, I'm going to go home and speak my wife's love language at lunch today, meaning I had some dishes to wash or something else to do. I probably should speak that love language a lot more. There was, I'm trying to recall his name here, Earl Wilson, who was a colonist, said this. He says, extensive study has revealed that no wife has ever shot her husband while he was doing the dishes. Wow. From the wife's perspective, now that we've seen just a little bit of what it has to say in Proverbs to the husbands, Proverbs chapter 14, 1 says, Every wise woman builds her house. And it's not talking about she's the brick mason who, who builds that up, but that she speaks words of encouragement. It says, a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. And so a wise woman is speaking life into her husband and respect into her husband. She's building up her children. She builds her home. She wants to see that home and that marriage fortified. Proverbs 27, 15, here's one we're often familiar with, right? A nagging wife is like a constant dripping. And then Proverbs 25, 24 says, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a nagging wife. And so, ladies, be those who build up, not those who tear down. Build your husband up. Listen, and build him up even when he's not around. When you're around other ladies in the community or, ladies, if you work outside the home, sometimes a group of ladies who get together in the workplace can just start talking about how bad husbands are. And when you hear that, you interrupt and say, not my husband. My husband's a good man. He's a godly man, and you build him up. Now, Proverbs 21, 19 says it's better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. And so, ladies, study Proverbs chapter 3 and those passages that talk about how to respond even when your husband's not all that he should be. Now, by the way, men, where it says, when it says it's better to live in wilderness, we get that wrong sometimes, Right? 
Here's, if you grew up in the, 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 the good old United States of America, and you hear the word wilderness, I don't know what comes to your mind, but Grizzly Adams comes to my mind. I mean, being isolated in the wilderness, for a man who grew up in the United States, he might be thinking, man, he had that nice hunting club cabin down on the river. Remember, he was all by himself. He, he didn't have a wife there, but man, he had that nice uh, cabin. He had a bear as his best friend, and, and uh, he had the, the Native American and Mad Jack looking after all of his needs. And, and man, that, I think I'll take that over marriage. That's what a lot of men will be like, right? I'll t- fishing, man, he fished for his food. He hunted for his food. Life was just good for Grizzly Adams living in the wilderness. That's not what wilderness in the Bible means, by the way. The word wilderness in the Bible is better translated desert because that's what the wilderness was in Palestine. Some of your translations may even say desert. And he's saying, look, if your wife, ladies, get this. Now, he says, if your wife is hot-tempered and nagging, it's better just to take a hike. It's better to be out in the desert somewhere, thirsty and starving and no life around you than in a house with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 21 and 23 says, The earth trembles under three things, and one of the three things that it names is an unloved woman when she marries. That word unloved can be kind of tricky there. The King James says odious. It really just means hateful. Literally, the passage in Hebrew is saying she is extremely repulsive and unpleasant. Proverbs 31.12 says, The virtuous wife rewards her husband with good and not evil all the days of her life. And so make God that number one relationship and then put your spouse before all others, even, yes, parents, even the children. Don't be like the couple I was telling. We we went Friday night with the Sunlighters and I was telling some of them in the, the van. There was a couple that... They were in their mid-90s, and they went to their pastor, and they said, you know, after 70-something years of marriage, we're seeking a divorce, and he couldn't believe it. He said, 70-something years you were together, and now you're seeking a divorce? I don't get it. How did you stay together for that long? And they said, well, it's simple. We were always staying together for the children, and now they've all gone on to be with the Lord, so we want a divorce. They'd outlive their kids, right? Don't be the couple that puts your kids first and you stay together for them. You might find yourself one day wondering who that other person is you're living with when you come upon those years that we're coming upon now in our marriage where you're about to face the empty nest. And so I, and I love my children, but listen, when they're gone, Tina and I have plans. And it's going to be more enriching. We're going to go more places together. You know, we, as a matter of fact, we've already started enjoying that. If there's food in the cabinet, the fridge, maybe. Make yourself at home, but we're gone. So make marriage that number two area that you fortify. Your relationship with God has to be foundational, but then fortify your marriage. And then finally, Proverbs does offer us so many fundamentals of parenthood. There are three needs that I want to look at in the Scriptures when it comes to being a parent. The first one is integrity. Integrity, that you live out before your children what you say you believe, that they know you're real in your faith. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7 says, The one who lives with integrity is righteous. His children who come after him will be blessed or will be happy. They they will find a certain satisfaction in life, a certain blessedness to life because 
mom and dad live out. They really do live out. They're not perfect. By the way, integrity doesn't mean perfect. Integrity means that you are who you claim to be. And so even when you blow it, as we have many times, even when you blow it, you say, mom and dad blew it there. Sorry. But you live out your faith before them. That starts with that right relationship with God, that right relationship with your spouse. Integrity. Secondly, they need security. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And what happens to the children? When you have that right relationship with God, you, you live in the fear of the Lord, you have a strong confidence. His children have a refuge. They have that fortress because you have feared God and you've walked in his ways. You have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and you fortified your marriage Now, as a result of having that fortified, the children have a sense of security in the home. They have refuge because mom and dad love God and mom and dad love each other. And no matter what happens at school, because things aren't always going to go well at school, no matter what happens uh, in, in the community, in the neighborhood, whatever's going around me, whatever I see on the news that makes me think that the world's coming apart, and sometimes it does. Listen, when I was a kid, we thought that nuclear holocaust was about to wipe us out. I remember watching the movie The Day After and not sleeping for a long time. I thought, man, we're history. Kids need a sense of security, right? Where does that security come from? It comes from seeing mom and dad love God and love each other. And when that fear of the Lord brings a strong confidence into the parent's life, the children have a refuge. They feel confident. They feel secure because of their parents. Listen, there, I know there's a lot today that's talked about how kids are bullying and kids are getting in trouble and fighting with other kids and all of that. And you know a lot of that stems from insecurity. And, and so when my kids were smaller and, and they might talk about, I can't believe the way this person is living, the way they're acting, the way they're treating us and everybody else around them, I would say don't be upset with them. You don't know what's going on in the life of their parents. They might be feeling very insecure right now very insecure, and they're taking it out on the people around them. Integrity, security, and what else they need? They need discipline and instruction because that builds on the integrity and the security. Proverbs 22, 6, you know this one, train up a child in the way they should go. Teach a youth, it says in the Holman Christian Standard, teach a youth about the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Chuck Swindoll says that that refers to their bent or their design. They're, they're helping them understand their personality, their gifts. And, and whether you have two or three or four or five children, their personalities, their gifts, their design will all be unique. It will be different. So help them see how God made them. Don't always compare them to their siblings because they're not their siblings. And the middle children just said, amen, right? Any middle children here? You, any of you that said, you know, my, my, the oldest always got to be the leader and the youngest always got spoiled, you know what I'm saying? They're all up in the kids' center. They need to hear this, right? You've been there. Don't compare them with each other. Find out how God uniquely hardwired them and help them to discover what he's doing in their life. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father, the son that he delights in. And so again, when you've established that context where there's a lot of love, a lot of grace, strong relationship, strong marriage, 
Now you've opened up the channels because you've created that with the loving environment. Now to bring discipline and instruction into their life because you do that, because you delight in them. Now there is some responsibility on the kids, by the way. For those of you who are children still living in your parents' home, of all ages, right, there's a responsibility there. There are some other Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 22 through 25, says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Learn all that you can. Anybody think your parents are smarter now than you thought they were when you were young? Amen? We've been there, right? The father of a righteous son will rejoice greatly, it says, and the one who fathers a wise son will delight in him. Let your father and mother have joy, and let her who gave birth to you rejoice. Now, kids, here's another way of putting that. Teenagers, here's another way of putting it. Dads, here's another way of putting it. It says, let that mother rejoice. If mama ain't happy, you got it, ain't nobody happy. And so when you're walking with God, she's rejoicing. When you're respecting the, the, the father in the home, she's rejoicing. Our children, listen, and parents, contrary to popular opinion, our children don't just wake up every day trying to ask, how can I embarrass my mom and dad? I, I know it might feel that way. You know, if you've ever tried to take your kids into the grocery store and there's only one of you, your spouse wasn't with you, it might feel that way. But our kids really are hungry for discipline and instruction. And I could tell so many preacher's kids' stories, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to spare my kids and talk about another preacher's kid in closing, um, to which they are very grateful. They have permission to charge me royalties when I uh, use them in illustrations without permission. Sometimes they forget that. Um, but but I, I share this story, and, and I don't think he would mind me sharing it because he told it very publicly recently, but um, about a, a pastor of a church not too far from here, uh, Jason Britt. His dad, Billy, was he kind of mentored us a little bit when I first came here to Trinity. Billy is with the Lord now. But, uh, but Billy, when he was working with the Hebron Institute of Church Growth, did some mentoring with some of our leaders here, and I thank God for his ministry. But before he was at Hebron Church there in Decula, he was pastoring a small church back when his son Jason, who's now pastoring the church there at Bethlehem, was... Um, Jason was a little boy, eight, nine years old. I can't remember. He's telling this story to a group of pastors this past uh, week and, and, and our week before last. And I, and I thought, man, I, I, that, that's got to be the most embarrassing thing a pastor could hear about his kids. But anyway, he, he said that he was when he was a child, he was a big fan of Spider-Man. And he said that he was amazed at how on those cartoons that Spider-Man could cast a web and catch a car. And he wanted to be Spider-Man. He wanted to play Spider-Man. And so living in the parsonage, this preacher's kid, this boy went out, the preacher to be, right? He went out in the front yard and he said that as the cars drove up and down the road, the, the best he could understand watching Spider-Man, that it looked like he was casting the web out of his middle finger. And so the cars are coming up and down the road and he is casting a web trying to catch these cars until the pastor gets the horrifying phone call at the church. Your son is flipping off every car that comes up and down the highway. 
And he's telling this story, and I'm thinking to myself, how many times do we worry about our kids embarrassing us? We can laugh about a story, especially if it's about somebody else, right? And my kids are like, man, he could have told so many on us. But sometimes we just feel like, man, our kids are out there. Listen, here's what I love about this church, and I pray that it will continue. And I pray that Pastor Ben and Miss Joni would say the same thing, and I know they would, but our kids have permission just to be kids around here, to be real. And we all know that sometimes kids and sometimes parents do things that might embarrass the rest of the family. But I am grateful that there's a whole lot of grace, a whole lot of love that covers a multitude of sin. Even when we mess up, we don't know what we're doing, right? As grandparents, we finally get it all figured out. Those of you who are grandparents, grandparents finally get it all figured out. We, we just, Lord, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to family, when it comes to parenting, I need your wisdom. And and the Bible is full of wisdom, and Proverbs is full of wisdom, and this is God's standard for the family. But it also shows me like a man beholding himself in a glass, James says. It shows me that sometimes I fall short. Quite often I fall short. I'm not trying to embarrass my wife. She's not trying to embarrass me. My kids aren't trying to embarrass their parents, and we're not trying. Well, sometimes we do try to embarrass our kids. But I'm thankful for God's grace that with the wisdom comes a lot of grace. And we need that grace this morning. We need to know that it's the reason Jesus went to a cross. We don't have it all together. But we can put our faith and trust in the one who can hold us all together. And some of you are in situations and you're like, things are falling apart or, or seem like they've already fallen apart. But God's grace is sufficient for you as well that you, from this day forward, will be that witness. For some of you, the church family, sometimes it's children, sometimes it's single parents, but for many of you, the church family is your first family. Let us be that family. And church, let's commit to be that family for those who need a family in our community, in our nation. Would you bow your heads with me?